Well, I'm very pleased to be joined by Tim Ash for our podcast today. Tim is a senior uh, strategist in our EM team. Um, I've known Tim actually for a very long time. I'm sure he won't mind me describing him as a veteran. And he's, I think, the most knowledgeable and kind of connected strategist that I know on uh, geopolitical um, issues. Um, So, Tim, welcome to uh, the podcast. You've been forewarning of an escalation in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine since November of last year. Um, Before we explore the current situation and and potential outcomes, why did you have a non-consensus view that this was much more than sabre rattling by President Putin? Yeah, thank you, David, and and happy to be here today. Um, Look, I mean, my background, I've, I've, uh, I've covered Russia and Ukraine uh, for 35 years. First went to Moscow in 87, Kiev in 88. Probably done about 100 plus research trips to, to Ukraine and, and a large number to Russia. Um, I, I started off as a Soviet studies guy, right? So immersing myself in kind of Soviet thinking. And then we, obviously we had the, tra- the, the transition after the fall of the Soviet Union. But, um, you know, I, I feel that I, I, I've understood Putin and his background I think better than most analysts in the market. And, you know, I, I fundamentally understand, you know, the key issues in Ukraine with Russia that I think many analysts don't quite get. Um, and also, you know, we're a little bit different at Blue Bay in terms of how we kind of do research and strategy in terms of as, as analysts, we are allowed to put views out there and I, I distribute my views quite openly. Uh, and many people on my distribution list are Ukrainian policymakers, U.S. policymakers, uh, think tank kind of people. And, and I get a, a huge amount of feedback, which helps me shape my view. So, you know, last year, uh, you remember, it wasn't just November. There, was a, there were two troop buildups by Russia uh, in the spring and then early fall. Uh, and talking to, you know, my various contacts uh, in November, what became crystal clear, particularly talking to to contacts in the US, you know, uh, sort of DC uh, think tank and STEMI government kind of people, uh, is that this was unusual. This was an incredible buildup of military force by Russia that went beyond anything we'd seen before and that Putin seemed primed to attack. And for me, I mean, in the end, uh, you know, Biden spelled things out, I think. It was pretty incredible that Western governments made it crystal clear what they thought was going to happen. Um, and when governments do that, it's very unusual. I think you have to sit up and, and take notice. And I think that the key thing for me was Putin. <laughs> you know, Putin has been crystal clear in, in what he would do unless he got what he wanted. And, and particularly, you know, this last week, you know, I mean, this, this speech, this latest speech yeah. that I think uh, has, has captured sort of the media intention. I mean, he was he's actually crystal clear what he wanted to do and was going to do. And so anyway, we, we started, uh, you know, we, we, we positioned our portfolios basically reflecting of, of, of what we saw was escalating risks around this issue. And I've, as, as you know, I thought a conflict would happen. And actually, one of the reasons I, I thought that was I've been arguing this since 2015, actually, that there would be a defining war between Russia and Ukraine, because when two militaries build up with such force, such levels of force, huge military buildups by both, usually it ends in conflict, unfortunately. Thanks, Tim. So, so, so given that, I mean, your warning um, of a Russian invasion of Ukraine has proved 
you know, prescient, obviously, it's, it's, it's happening as we speak. I mean, can you just s- sort of um, explain further what you think President Putin wants to achieve from uh, this invasion? Well, look, again, read his writings. He wrote a long essay of the summer. He sent it to every member of the Russian armed forces. You know, Putin doesn't accept that Ukraine has a right to exist. You know, he thinks that Russia, Ukrainians are basically Russians. You know, they have a common identity, common history. That oh, That's his belief. And, the, you know, the end of the Soviet Union in, in uh, 91 was a big mis- tragic mistake. And essentially, he hates the, the, the movement west of Ukraine, the constant move west of the last 30 years of independence, and particularly after the Euro Maidan in 1314. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's not only that. It's not only this idea that he hates the collapse of the Soviet Union. Now, I think what... You know what Euro Maiden was about, which was Ukrainians didn't want EU membership. We didn't want NATO membership. That wasn't the key at that point in time. They they wanted to live in a European country uh, on with European values and rule of law. And I think ultimately for Putin, who you know it's an it's an autocratic leader. Uh, I think he's also made pretty clear he hates coloured revolutions. He hates these kind of revolutions that, you know, bring democracy, because that's the biggest threat to Putin at home. So it's a combination, I think, of, you know, he uh, he hates, well, he, he has this idea of you know, common Ukrainian and Russian peoples, but also he, he hates Ukraine's Western orientation. So he wants uh, to put Ukraine back in Russia's geopolitical orbit and stop its Western movement, which is going to be an incredible thing, really, because 30 years of independence, 30 years, of Ukrainians having a Western outlook, to turn that back is is going to be a, a really difficult task for him. So, so does that mean uh, it's a kind of full blown regime change, which is his sort of goal um, in in the near term? Well, you know, my thoughts two two potential scenarios. One is that he'd be okay with Zelensky staying in Kiev, uh, but he wants a new treaty between Russia and Ukraine that basically spelt out no EU. Nay, NATO, no NATO, demilitarized uh, status for Ukraine, uh, and basically it's in Russia's uh, sphere of influence. So either that, or maybe he just doesn't trust uh, a government in Kiev and he wants to impose his, his own regime. It, it's looking a little bit like the latter. Uh, so it seems as though you know there's these huge strikes, military strikes on Ukraine, and then tanks are driving close to Kiev. And likely they'll imp- they'll uh, they'll force an ultimatum or impose an ultimatum on the government in Kiev, either surrender to whatever we want, or you know tanks will roll further into big cities. And um, I know it's an incredibly you know fluid situation right now. I mean, just in your assessment, I mean, how, how long do you think the actual kind of military conflict can um, persist? I mean, how long, if you like, is the, does the Ukraine have the the ability and the will to kind of withstand uh, the, the sort of Russian military invasion. Yeah, well, I'm certainly not a military strategist, but I do know Ukrainians, and they 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 value, you know, the reforms that have carried, uh, been undertaken in the year, in the last thirty years. They they value this Western orientation. They certainly don't want to be put under Putin's thumb. They are willing to fight, but it's a very unequal battle, right? I mean, Russia has overwhelming military superiority, air power, missiles, artillery. It's a huge military machine, and and the, the, the standalone Ukrainian military, the, the conventional military, is, is simply no match. Question is, you know, uh, is if if Zelensky resists uh, and Putin is forced to take cities, uh, are you know that that then it's a different ballgame because then it's street fighting, 
you remember the, 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 the several Chechen wars at the end of the 1990s, early yeah. 2000s, you know, many people dead, uh, horrible scenario. Uh, so that, that's the question. Is Zelensky willing to, to, to risk that? Uh, and, and again, would Putin go into the cities uh, to try and take them? Um, we'll see. I don't know, actually, at the moment. I mean, as we're speaking, I mean, Western leaders are, you know, considering um, so-called or, you know, massive sanctions against Russia. I mean, what, what's your kind of current view in terms of the form that those sanctions will take? Yeah, look, uh, I think realisation is dawning that perhaps China is not the, the most immediate threat to Western liberal market democracy, but perhaps Putin is. Uh, and we see, I'm seeing a sea change in thinking in both the Biden administration, but also Western governments. And, and just listening to the, the messaging from our leaders uh, in the last few hours, it, there's shock, there's anger, and there's a, re- a real willingness, I think, to, 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 to stand up to Putin on this. So I think we're going to see, and actually economic sanctions are one of the few levers that we do have. So I think we will see a, a brutal sanctions regime. Uh, put around Russia. I mean, Putin will almost be, be, have pariah status uh, and it will be very difficult to do business and invest in Russia because of this. And obviously ESG is a major part of, of what we do now in the, the asset management industry and the, just simply the ESG uh, issues around this. I mean, imagine uh, this idea of, of Putin trying to enforce his will, his authoritarian will on people who have been free for 30 years. How do you do that? without a brutal crackdown, which again, will, will, will raise massive red flags from an ESG perspective for, for investors uh, like ourselves. Do you think those sanctions would extend to the energy sector or, or that you know, Putin would respond to these sanctions that you're describing, which would be you know, very dramatic um, from the West imposed on Russia by, by cutting back in terms of oil and particularly gas supplies into Europe? You know, we clearly know that Europe is is very dependent on on European gas and oil and other commodities from Russia. Actually, Russia is also dependent on on, on our markets. You know, it, it sells those products and, and, and earns you know a lot of foreign exchange from them. So it would all, it would be reluctant, uh, I think, to cut off supplies. Uh, that said, you know, the, the, I, I, again, I notice a real willingness to hit Russia hard here. So I think some energy companies are likely to be sanctioned. Um, and, and I think longer term, there's an understanding that Russia is not a reliable energy partner and there'll be an accelerated effort to diversify away from Russia. Now, that's not going to happen, you know, next week or next month or even next year. But, you know, over the medium term, you know, Russia will be cut out of, of uh, European energy supply. Obviously good for the US in terms of LNG supply. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so I am worried about... Uh, uh, sanction and counter-sanction from the two sides. Uh, energy prices likely are, are going to continue to stay high. And, you know, in terms of the global uh, macro story, that plays into this stagflation kind of risk uh, that, that uh, I guess has been uh, quite prominent in people's minds recently. Thanks, Tim. And and if if you know Putin's gamble pays off, um, and and. You know, if you, if you share the view that um, that that it, that it is a gamble by by him in all sorts of ways, and and Ukraine is subjugated by by Russia, I mean, what what's the big picture implications for, you know, European maybe global, but European in particular, sort of defence and security and 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 the kind of picture looking further out than than the near term. This is a massive event. 
It's the biggest event in terms of European security since the end, well, since the fall of the Berlin Wall. And that was a positive. This is a negative. Uh, if Putin is allowed to take over Ukraine, uh, he's drawing a new uh, iron curtain across emerging Europe. And I think uh, Europe will feel insecure. You know, uh, Europe has spent the peace dividend in recent years, massively reduced conventional military capability. We probably couldn't defend Europe against a Russian conventional military attack. We are so weak in terms of our uh, conventional capability at the moment. So I think defense spending has got to increase massively. Um, and as I said, there's a, this is a globally systemic event, a, geopol a geopolitically systemic event uh, you know, of, of massive significance. Well, thanks very much, Tim, for uh, giving up some time today, which I know is uh, extraordinarily busy for, for, for you and, and obviously for other colleagues as, as well. So thanks very much for uh, your thoughts on uh, you know, what's happening uh, right now and for your forewarnings. And uh, you know, we may well speak again. Uh, thanks, Tim. My pleasure. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax, or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchasers as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.